Okay, tonight we're going to be in the book of John, chapter 1, verses 35 through 42. That's where we're going to begin. Uh, scripture says, again, the next day John stood with two of his disciples, and looking at Jesus as he walked, he said, Behold, the Lamb of God. And the two disciples heard him speak, and they followed Jesus. Then Jesus turned, and seeing them following, said to them, What do you seek? They said to him, Rabbi, which is to say when translated teacher, where are you staying? He said to them, Come and see. They came and saw where he was staying and remained with him that day. Now it was about the tenth hour. One of the two who heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother Simon and said to him, We found the Messiah, which is translated the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. And when Jesus looked at him, he said, You are Simon, the son of Jonah. You shall be called Cephas which is translated a stone. And again, another way of translating that is the word Peter. So uh, a little bit of background. Uh, depending on your, uh, how you grew up as a Christian, Peter, um, in any tradition, has a lot of um, good things, uh, notoriety about what he did in history. Um, when you think of Simon Peter, the Apostle Peter, we often he see him as the head or the leader of the Christians in the first century. Uh, I think Catholics believe he's the first pope, uh, the leader of the church from the very beginning. Uh, we may be acquainted, uh, and even, uh, you know, in Protestant uh, denominations from the Bible, we're acquainted with the great miracles that God did through him. We may even know, uh, some of you have the history, there's a, an account of how he died uh, for the Lord, uh, being crucified upside down. Uh, I'm going to read that to you. Peter, not wishing to be martyred for his faith, flees from Roman authorities. He was in the city of Rome on the Via Appia, which is, uh, you know, the, the, the Roman road leading out of the city. Rather unexpectedly, Peter meets Jesus, who's traveling in the opposite direction. Now, this is a vision that he has. He asks Jesus, where are you going? Jesus tells Peter that he's going to Rome to be crucified again. Peter realizes from this that he cannot flee from his fate. And as the story goes, Peter refused to be crucified upside down or upwards as his master Jesus. And so he requested an upside-down death, and the Romans were more than happy to oblige. What, now, we may know all that about Peter, but what we don't always understand is that where Peter ended up his Christian life is not how Peter started his Christian life. It actually took a while for Peter to get his life in line with Jesus and to submit and commit his life to him. If we read the passage in Matthew only, uh, in the passage in Matthew, Jesus just shows up and he said, uh, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. If we only read that, uh, uh, you know, um, immediately you think that Peter and his brother left everything they had and they got on uh, to following after Jesus. But if we just read that, we don't always get the entire picture of what it really took for Peter to get saved. So what I want to do today, tonight, is to piece together that process from all the gospel accounts. Thank you to Rick Renner who helped me with this, so that we can recognize that salvation for many is a progression that we can be a part of in bringing people to Christ. You don't, you're not always going to get people saved the first time around. It's a process. It's a process that God is involved in and he brings you into. A lot of times we think it's a process that we're involved in and we bring God into. It's actually the other way around. God's the one that's in the process and he brings you in to the process to help bring people to uh, the knowledge of who he is to salvation in Christ. So there were four key encounters that Peter had that is revealed in the Bible that were key in seeing Peter ultimately give his life to Christ. 
first encounter, Simon's first encounter is in John 1, 35 through 41. We read that already, but we'll just go over it again. Uh, John stood with two of his disciples, uh, and he said, Behold the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him speak. They followed Jesus. Jesus said, What do you want? <laughs> what do you seek? They said, Teacher, uh, where are you staying? He said, At the Marriott Hilton. No. Uh, <laughs> he said to them, Come and see. They came and saw where you were staying, and then they never went back. No, that's not what happened either. And they remained with him that day, and one of the two who heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, who was Simon Peter's brother. And, and uh, he first found his own brother Simon and said to him, We found the Messiah, which is translated the Christ. Now what we see here is that Andrew begins his, uh, the account in the gospel as a disciple of John. We don't know how he became a disciple of John. We just know that he was a disciple of John. John the Baptist was the cousin of Jesus, and his entire ministry was to prepare the way for the promised Messiah who was to come. While he was doing that, part of what he did, uh, he, the Bible says he was the voice of one crying out in the wilderness. Uh, you know, he was that radical prophet who dressed in, uh, you know, uh, burlap, and, and he ate uh, locusts and honey. And by the way, a locust is not a bug. A locust is a fruit. And so he, it's a fruit that's found in certain uh, trees in the desert, just like a cactus has a fruit on it. Uh, so there are, there are certain uh, plants in the desert have a fruit, and they're called locust fruit. So while Bap, did I just ruin your picture of John the Baptist there? Some of y'all are going, oh, man. <laughs> okay, it was chocolate-covered locusts, right? You can still order them online. While baptizing at the Jordan, Jesus comes, and when he's baptized, John sees a dove coming and resting upon him, and immediately knows that Jesus is the promised one who is to come. His cousin is the Messiah. The next day, Jesus comes by, and John again sees Jesus, and he tells his disciples that Jesus is the Lamb of God, and from then forth, therefore, henceforth, they begin to follow after him. Andrew actually goes and stays with Jesus. He'd been used to doing that with John. So, uh, you know, he went to stay with Jesus. He hears Jesus, and he just can't contain himself. He has to tell somebody about him, so he goes and tells his brother. Remember, this study is not about Andrew. It's about Simon. It's about Peter. Did you know that Andrew was Simon's brother? This is Simon's first encounter with Jesus. It's not a first-hand encounter. It is a second-hand encounter. It is an account, a testimony of someone who has met Jesus and now has come back to tell them about what happened when they met Jesus, who they believe to be the Messiah. Now, there would be other encounters, but the first one begins when someone tells them about what they heard and saw themselves about Jesus. That kind of reminded me of the woman that Jesus uh, spoke to when he was at the well going to, uh, in Samaria. He had to go by a well in Samaria. And there was a woman there that he began to talk with while his disciples were looking for food. And, um, and so while he was talking to her, he said, go call your husband. He had a word of knowledge. He said, I don't have a husband. He said, that's right. You've had five husbands, and the one you're with is not your husband. And she said, uh, you, how do you know that? Bottom line, he says, you, you must be the prophet. You must, or you, you know, he said, I know that Messiah, he was to come. He said, I am he. And so, you know, the rest of that account, you know, out of your belt, you should, if you would have asked me, you know, I would have given you living water. Well, anyway, the woman was totally impressed by what was happening. It was more than just a natural impression. The Spirit of God was impressing itself upon the woman. She left her water pot, went her way into the city where she was from, and she said to the men, all the people in the city basically, come see a man who told me 
all the things that I ever did. Could this be the Christ? And then they went out of the city and they came to him. That's going to actually bring me to my second point. But the bottom line is she had a firsthand encounter with the Messiah. And then she went back and told the people in the city. And they had a secondhand encounter with the Messiah. And because of that secondhand encounter, eventually they came out to Jesus themselves. And then they, at the end, would say, now we don't believe just because of what you said. We believe because we met him ourselves. Right? Why were these people coming to Jesus? Because the woman told them, and now I believe the woman was taking them herself to Jesus. Come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. So she tells them about Jesus, and she says, come. So what's she saying? Come with me. I'm going to show you who this guy is. Right? It's very important that we talk to people about Jesus. It's very important that we share with them our encounter with God, what God is doing in our life, what God has done, what God is presently doing, it's important that we do that. We talk to everybody. Uh, when I say that, I'm talking about uh, in general. We, we'll, we we're willing to talk to anybody about anything we're passionate about. We'll talk about the football game. We'll talk about the baseball game. Even though it's politically, I mean, it's culturally taboo, we still talk about politics. you got people walking around, you know, with, with uh, hats on and shirts on and talking about it. We don't always talk civilly, but we talk about whatever it is we're passionate about. Why can't we talk about the thing that's most passionate, that, that should be the most passionate uh, thing that we have in our life is Jesus. Why can't we talk about him? And could it be that we're not passionate about him? I don't know. Whatever you're passionate about, you talk about. If you're passionate about uh, bingo, you talk about bingo. Right? If you're passionate about a show that you just watched, you talk about the show. If you went to a brand new restaurant, you talk to everybody about the restaurant. Why aren't we talking about Jesus? Well, I don't know, I don't know how to win somebody to the Lord. But see, that's the whole point is you don't have to win them to the Lord. All you got to do is talk to them about what you experienced when you met Jesus. And you don't have to do it theologically. You don't have to do it homiletically, hermeneutically, exegetically. You don't have to do it any of that. All you got to do is like the man that got delivered from demons. He said, I used to have a lot of demons in me, and now I don't. Why? Ah, uh, Jesus. That's all you got to do, right? I used to have, you know, you know, whatever your testimony is, I used to be sick, and the Lord healed me. I used to have depression, and the Lord healed me. I used to do this, and the Lord healed me. It's a, who cares what they think? That's not the point. The point is that they got to have some entry point, some encounter, even if at the first is like nothing happens, something has to penetrate that hard shell, and we got to be there to say, I want to tell you about Jesus. We don't, we're, not, we're not necessarily going to be the end of the process. We might, it might. I mean, we might get there, and it might be plant and water and fertilize and, and harvest all in one encounter, but the reality is this, this just might be a beginning for them, or we might be someone along the journey but, you know, we've got to be like Andrew. we got to talk to them about what we have experienced with Christ. Amen? You never know. You might win a whole city for God just like this woman. You just never know, right? So uh, not only did Simon hear Andrew's account of Jesus, going back to Simon, Andrew actually took Simon to see him just like this woman took the city to see Jesus. Andrew actually took Simon, his brother, to see him personally. That brings us to the second point. Simon's second encounter, John 1, 41 through 42. He, Simon, for, I mean, Andrew, first found his own brother, Simon, and said to him, we found the Messiah, which is translated to Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. Now, that doesn't mean when usually we use that language today, we say, we got him saved. No, that's not what it means. 
Jesus was literally on the planet. He took him to a place where Jesus was, right? Now, when Jesus looked at Simon, he said, you are Simon, the son of Jonah. Now, this wasn't like uh, he had a name tag on or he didn't have, you know, like Bobby has his name printed on his clothes and so everybody knows his BFF or whatever, you know. Um, everybody knows. He didn't have that on there. So how did he know? How did he know? Word of knowledge. You are Simon, right? But you shall be called Cephas, which is translated a stone. Not yet, but you will be. Here the text says that Andrew brought his brother to Jesus. Simon had heard Andrew testify about Jesus, but he hadn't committed his life to Jesus yet. Andrew was now going a step further and actually inviting his brother to a meeting where Jesus is present. Where would we find a meeting today where Jesus is present? There you go. Where two or three are gathered in his name, there he is in the midst of them. It could be a church service. It's most common for us. We go to church service. If you go to a Bible study somewhere, you go to some kind of, you know, we had, even when we had the, the, the stone, the, uh, the chosen, we were showing the movies of the chosen. It was a presentation of the gospel. There's lots of different ways where you can get somebody to a place where Jesus is, is, is manifesting, right? So he brings his brother to a meeting where Jesus was present. He was going to be in a position where he could experience the presence of God that resided on Jesus for himself. Luke 4, 16 through 19. So he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up, talking about Jesus. And as his custom was, he went into the synagogue and he stood up to read and he was handed the book of the prophet Isaiah. And when he opened the book, he found the place where it was written, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. See, that's really the key. The Spirit of God that was upon him enabled him to do the things that he was doing by means of the Spirit of God. And I want you to know that the Spirit of God resides in us. Let me finish this up. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. When believers are gathered together worshiping the Lord, when the word of God is being shared, taught, preached, the presence of the Lord is moving, testimonies are being shared, the gifts of God are, are going forth, it, 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 in a profound way, it affects people's hearts, and their hearts are open to being touched by the Spirit of God. Like, you, like Bobby mentioned before, Matthew 18 and 20, where two or three are gathered together in my name, I am there in the midst of them. So God is a... Spirit, through means of the Spirit, when we're gathered together, He is there. When we worship, He is there. Coming together, coming to church does not mean you worship. You can come to church, sit through a worship service, and never worship. Right? Worship is when you open your heart to the Lord. Our Father which art in heaven, you recognize who He is, you recognize who you are. Hallowed be thy name. Holy, wonderful, awesome is your name. And by the way, you can worship God not just in song, not just by raising your hands. You can worship God by raising your kids the way that honors Him, by giving the way it honors Him, by working the way it honors Him. You worship God with every aspect of your life. And when believers worship God together, the presence of God is with them. Jesus said, I am there in the midst of them. Acts 2.37, Peter was preaching. And one thing that happens when we gather together is we talk about the Lord. The Word of God goes forth in a church service. The Word of God goes forth. When they heard uh, uh, Peter preaching, 
the Bible says that the people that heard were cut to the heart. Who cut? It was the Holy Spirit. He was using the words that Peter was preaching, using the word of God. And the Bible said, then the Bible say in, in, in Hebrews 4 and 12, uh, the word of God is living and active, sharper than the two-edged sword, to the dividing of sunder of soul and spirit, joint and marrow, even to the uh, thoughts and intents of the heart. So, sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And so when they heard, they said to Peter, men and brethren, what are we going to do? What shall we do? So Simon, going back to Simon, he was now on this, having another encounter with the Lord because Andrew didn't just tell him about the Messiah. He invited him to a place where the Messiah was. And uh, he wasn't saved yet, but the invitation to hear for himself brought Peter a little closer to his conver conversion. In the same way, we can help people on their journey to salvation in Christ by inviting them or bringing people to a place where God is being worshipped and proclaimed. And one of the things that we can do in a very practical way is invite them to church. We got incredible, incredible worship. The presence of God moves during worship. I believe that I teach the Word of God the way it is. I'm not perfect, but I teach the Word of God. So through the worship, through the, for, through the gifts of the Spirit, through the Word that's being preached, through the prayers that people pray, uh, what a great opportunity people have if you will invite them to church to encounter God. Obviously, we at some point would like you to be able to win them out there, but I'd be just as happy if you brought them here. Well, when are we going to have a class to teach people how to invite people to church? Well, this is your first class. Hi, my name's Rick O'Gara. Would you like to come and visit my church? Now you can sign off. I just had class. I just learned how to invite somebody to church. Would you like to, would you like to see if you learned, you learned that lesson, Bobby? Just stand up and tell them what you learned today. Hi, my name is Bobby Fortner. <laughs> I'd like to invite you to church. He graduated. How many of y'all have invited somebody to church? When was the last time you invited somebody to church? Right? Now, well, I've invited people, they don't come, but there's lots of other people that you haven't invited that might come. And sometimes one of the things that I want to encourage you is that when somebody says no, that doesn't mean no forever. It might be no today, but it might, mean, it might not mean no tomorrow. It could be no for the last six weeks, but it might be yes on the seventh week. Right? I think a lot of times when, we, when somebody says no, we get rejected personally, and we feel like, oh, I'm not going to ask anybody. I'm not going to ask them anymore. And then we kind of say, I'm not asking anybody ever again. But the reality is we can't think that way. We can't function that way. We, we need to, how many of y'all would like to see people get saved and their lives change? Now, when I say how many of y'all would like the church to grow, everybody wants the church to grow. But I want you to understand my desire is not just to have a bigger church. My desire is to see lives changed. I want to see lives change. If we can't get them in the church, how are their lives going to change? So the first step is, one, you've got to tell them 
about the Lord, and then you have to invite them. Now, listen, if you're in another place and, and this church isn't close, send them to another church. It doesn't matter to me. The key is that their lives are changed, right? But if you live in this area, almost anybody can access this church in this area. You go to this church. Why wouldn't you want to invite them here? We just have to be proactive. That's the thing. A lot of times we don't put it on the forefront. We have to be proactive. If you don't want to necessarily tell them your testimony, all that kind of stuff, just say, hey, look, I go to a great church. Would you like to come to church with me one day? You know, don't say, hey, uh, I want to send you this church. No, I said, would you like to come to church with me one day? Right? That's important. That, and that's what Andrew did. Simon, you need to come with me to hear this Jesus. Isn't that what the woman uh, the, at the well, she said, come and see a man, come and follow me, and see a man that told me everything I ever did, right? Come on, I want to take you to the church service at the, it's called the, it's called the church at the well. I want to take you there, and I want you to, I want you to hear about this guy, Jesus. I'll come with me. I will pick you up. I will meet you there. I'll do whatever I got to do, but come to church with me, and you might be surprised that someone might just say, Yes. You said yes. They caught you at the right time, and you said yes. How many other people out there are willing to say yes, but we'll never know because we don't ask? Now, I, in no way am I trying to reprove you guys tonight. I'm just trying to exhort you, right? But if you go to the, if you go to the dictionary, exhort, another definition for exhort is reprove. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I just want to encourage you, right? This is not what we need to do to grow our church. This is what we need to do to be faithful to, to God. We're called to reach the lost, each and every one of us. And I'm just, actually, the simplest thing you can do, we have tracks. We just, hey, put stamp. I want to invite you to church. Take this with you and, uh, you know, come with me to church. You know, we, there's lots of things that we got people that have done creative things. Hey, I want to personally invite you to church. Here's uh, my church and, I, and we meet at this time and I will meet you there. Here's my number or whatever the case may be. And you'd be surprised. You know, it's like we're, we keep asking God for them to come in, but we forget that without us going and inviting them, they're not going to come. God's saying, I'm willing, I'm going to do it, but I need you to, to, I need you to, to do your part. Amen? Not that hard, is it? Right? Simon's third encounter, Luke 4, 38-41. Now, he arose from the synagogue of Jesus because he had been preaching in the synagogue at Nazareth and entered Simon's house. And I didn't realize, I never put this together, that when Jesus preached at Nazareth, Simon was in the synagogue. Never saw that before. Just kind of hit me. And so Simon was hearing about Jesus, and the Bible says he arose from the synagogue and entered Simon's house. But Simon's wife's mother was sick with a high fever, and they made requests of him concerning her. So he stood over her, rebuked the fever, and it left him. And immediately she arose and began to serve them. When the sun was setting, they're still in the house. Whose house? Simon's house. And, and when the sun was setting, all those who had any that were sick with various diseases brought them to him, who was where? Simon's house. And Jesus laid his hands on every one of them and healed them. Where? Simon's house. And demons also came out of many, crying out and saying, You are the Christ, the Son of God. And he, rebuking them, did not allow them to speak, for they knew that he was the Christ. 
In this third encounter, Jesus actually went to Simon's house, and while there, Jesus heals Peter's mother-in-law of a high fever. It was a pretty bad fever. Actually, in, in the King James, I think he called it a great fever. Uh, Luke was a physician, and so he actually classified fevers, lesser fever, greater fever. So this was a bad fever. And at his house, uh, Simon uh, uh, witnessed many, uh, not only his mother-in-law being healed, I'm sure he was real happy about that, but also many sick people being healed and people with demons being delivered. Where? At his house. Simon was seeing Jesus' power touching the lives of those around him in his everyday life. It's one thing to hear about Jesus and what Jesus is doing on CBN, I mean, uh, CBN, TVN, Daystar, you know, uh, down at the church. It's another thing to recognize when Jesus is doing these things to people that I know personally in my everyday life, right? We can facilitate as a church the progression of people towards the Lord as well by bringing the gospel to bear in their lives on a personal and practical level. We, like Jesus, are to bring the power of the gospel to bear, not just here at the church, but at the places where people live. As I said before, the gospel is not just good news without any relevance to today. The gospel is good news because it's highly relevant to people who are hurting. The gospel is good news to the sick because Jesus heals the sick. You hear what I'm saying? The gospel is good news to the oppressed because he sets the captives free. The gospel is good news to the blind because he opens blinded eyes. Are you hearing what I'm saying? It's not just a, a message of good news. It is very practical and very relevant, and we have people all around us who are hurting that, you know, maybe they'll come to church, maybe they don't, but they need to know that there is a Jesus that's not just a theological understanding, but there is a Jesus that is alive today that lives in the heart of his people that just like he did when we walked the earth, he is interested in saving, healing, delivering, and setting people free. And not just other people, he's interested in doing it to you. But if we don't live life like Jesus is powerful, then how can we present a life of Jesus being powerful? Right? John 14 and 12, Jesus actually said, Most assuredly I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, how many of y'all believe in the Lord? Right? Dwight believes in God. Nobody else does. <laughs> the works that I do, if you believe in him, greater works than these shall you do. Well, what kind of works did he do? Did he, did he help feed the poor? Of course. Right? Did he do the, the lot of the good things that people? Absolutely. But what other things did he do? He healed the sick, raised the dead, cleansed the lepers, cast out devils. And he said, the works that I do, if you believe in him, you can do also. Well, I'm not capable of doing that. You're not. But the Jesus that lives inside of you is. I remember, it reminds me of a guy named Smith Wigglesworth who, who was invited to, uh, to, to, to see, uh, I think it was a girl that was oppressed and, and, and just out of her mind. And he walks into the room, and when he walks into the room, the demon said, you can't cast me out. And he said, 
I can't, but Jesus can. Come out in the name of Jesus. And it came out. Right? Our confidence is not to be in us. Our confidence is to be in the Jesus that lives in us. Do you understand that Jesus, the Son of God, God himself who created this universe, that holds the universe in the palm of his hands, uh, he that is greater than anything you could ever imagine, lives inside of you. Greater is he that lives in us than he that lives in the world. Paul said, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Not, not, hey man, it's good teaching. It is. Or man, it's good theology. It is. Or, you know, it's just, it's good law. It is. No, that's not what he said. Because it is the power of God to the salvation. That's the word salvation means, is the word sozo. It means uh, spirit, soul, body, relationships, finances, anything in your life. It is the power of God for everyone who believes. But how are they going to believe if they haven't heard? How are they going to hear if we haven't been sent? We have been sent, but how are we going? Why, why aren't we going if we know that we've been sent? He said, to everyone who believes, Jew first, also for the Greek. Mark 16, 15 through 18, he said to them, go into all the world, preach the gospel to every creature, right? He who believes and is baptized will be saved, but he who does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will follow those who believe. Believe in what? Believe in Jesus? Yes, but that's not the context. The context is these signs will follow those who believe these signs will follow them. You hear what I'm saying? In my name they will cast out demons. Who's they? You and I. In my name they will speak with new tongues. Who is they? You and I. In my name, they will take up serpents. That doesn't mean you go around testing Jesus, picking up serpents. It's talking about wherever you go that you're not going to have to worry about the power of the enemy because he's given you authority and power to trample upon serpents and scorpions and all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means harm you. Right? And if you drink anything deadly, what's the context there? Sometimes when you go out and you preach to people about Jesus, they're not real happy about it. And people in the world can be lethal in their unhappiness. But you don't have to worry about that because if you drink anything deadly, if they ask you, invite you to something to eat and you're like, mm, I don't want to drink that Kool-Aid. And if they drink anything deadly, it will by no means hurt them. They will lay hands on the sick and they might, they will recover. Right? Now listen, the only way they won't recover is if you don't lay hands on them. You hear what I'm saying? If you believe and you lay hands on people, they will recover. If you believe and you don't lay hands on them, they won't recover. If you don't believe, you won't lay hands on them and they won't recover. So what's the key? Believe and act. That's really what faith is all about. So let's go to Simon's fourth encounter, Luke 5, 3 through 11. See, this is what... We, we, we're thinking Jesus shows up and says, follow me. You didn't realize that there was a progression in Peter's life, did you? Fourth encounter. He got into one of the boats, which was Simon's, and he asked him to put out a little from the land. So now you already know that Jesus and Simon have a little bit of history, right? So he gets out there, and Jesus is preaching to multitude. 
And, and when he's preaching to the multitude, he says, man, I've got to have some room. They're pressing me. I'm just Rick Helgero translation. They're pressing me close. I need to have some room so I can back up and I can project. So he comes to Simon, who happened to be there. He was a fisherman. It was his place of business. They were mending the nets. And he says to him, uh, can I get into one of your boat? And he asked him to put out a little bit from the land. He sat down, taught the multitudes from the boat. And when he stopped speaking, he said to Simon, launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. Now, you got to realize, he's been fishing all night. He's tired. He wants to go home. wants to go to bed, right? wants to eat breakfast. This is what he wants to do. He wants to have bacon and eggs. The only thing he's had all night is fish. So, but Jesus said, go out to the boat. Now, remember, Simon has a history with Jesus. He saw Jesus heal people in the synagogue. He saw Jesus heal his mother. He saw Jesus heal the people in his house. Do you remember that? You didn't remember all that when you first read that. I didn't realize all that when I first read that. Simon has a history with Jesus, and Jesus is saying, okay, go out into the deep. Simon said to him, Master, we've toiled all night and caught nothing, and something inside of him that says, but every time this guy does something, and incredible things happen. Nevertheless, at your word, I will let down the net. So he got in the boat. Bobby knows what it is to row a boat, right? <laughs> Got in the boat, go out in the middle. I mean, it wasn't easy to get out there. Throws down the net. Had just took, put all the nets up. Now he had to take it out, prepare it, throw it out there. He throws out the net, right? And when he had done this, he said uh, they, they had caught a great number of fish, and their net was breaking. And they came and filled both the boats, so they began to sink. And when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man. Oh, Lord. Two things in there. Recognize his sin, and he recognized who Jesus was. You know, that's all it takes for people to get saved. They got to recognize their sin. And today, society that we live in, but I think it's been all throughout history, people keep saying, well, I'm a good person. There's nothing that really that bad with me, or whatever the case may be. Other people are worse than I am. Or if I compare myself with the world, I'm okay. But the reality is, for all have sin and fallen short of the glory of God. Sometimes we try to take away the conviction of the Holy Spirit on people's lives by getting them away from their conviction, by trying to make them feel good, you know, whenever they're being convicted. Oh, it's going to be okay, whatever. No, let the Holy Spirit do His work. Don't. They've got to get to a place where they realize no matter who they are, whether they're in the bottom gutter or they're working as a CEO in Dow, they've got to realize that their main problem is sin. And when they're confronted with a holy, righteous Savior, they have to see themselves for who they really are. Uh, Depart from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. And then they have to see who he is. He is not just, he is king of kings and lord of lords, but it's king of kings and lord of lords in his mercy and compassion and his grace came and left his throne and came down on this earth and died for sinful men. For he, Simon, and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish which they had taken. What happened? The miraculous had taken place. The glory of God had been released. And when they were in the presence of the glory of God, they realized who they were. They realized finally who he was. And so also were James and John, the sons of Devity, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, do not be afraid. See, you didn't know the context. From now on, uh, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. So when they had brought their boats to land, they forsook all and followed him. 
First, Simon Peter obtained secondhand knowledge of Jesus. Second, he went to a place where he was introduced to Jesus, although he didn't get saved. Third, he personally experienced the power of God and the people around him. And now we read the story of Simon's fourth encounter with Christ, the encounter that reached so deep into his core that it transformed his life. The result of this fourth encounter was that Simon Peter totally committed his life to the cause of Christ. It was this final experience that caused Simon Peter to see Christ's holiness and his own sinfulness. This fourth encounter totally changed Peter and reset his goals for life. His, his destiny was not to be a fisher, a, a, fish, a fisherman fishing for fish all his life. His destiny had been changed. His destiny was to be a fisher of men. However, this life-transforming trans, life experience happened after Simon Peter first learned that Jesus was the Messiah. It happened after Jesus spent time in Peter's home. It happened after he's seen Jesus miraculously heal his mother-in-law, his mother, his mother-in-law, and all those around him. It happened after he had witnessed Jesus healing multitudes outside his own home. One might think that these previous encounters would have been sufficient to bring Peter to the point of conversion. However, it took this final experience to cause him to drop to his knees and fully acknowledge the lordship of Jesus Christ. As a fisherman, Peter knew that, he, that the amazing size of this catch of fish was an unquestionable miracle. Consequently, this fourth encounter was so life-altering that he never returned to a life of fishing again. From that moment, Peter followed Jesus. Now, as we come in contact with many, many different people in life, it's likely that we will spend time with people who, like Simon Peter, or who are or, or are currently in a position like Simon Peter was before that first encounter. Maybe you're going to come, and some of these people, you don't know whether they're having the first, the second, the third, or the final encounter. Maybe you're going to come in, uh, into contact with one that just needs one final touch to bring them to a rock-solid faith in Jesus Christ. What I hope we come to understand tonight is that where Peter ended up in his Christian life is not how Peter started. It's not how it began. I didn't get saved right away. It was a process of time for me to get saved. People aren't all going to get saved right away, although I believe that you can plant the seed and harvest the seed. I believe we're going to see that happen in, you know all in one encounter but the reality is that God often works in people's lives over a period of time and it takes time for that soil in their life to soften up to the gospel of Jesus Christ right it actually took a while for Peter to get his life in line with Jesus and to submit and commit his life to him see a lot of people today they don't have a problem going up, saying a prayer, and, and, and saying, hey, just say this prayer, and you're going to go to heaven. But they don't have a problem doing that because they sign a card, you know, to, they, they, you know, to go fishing. They sign this to be a part of a club, you know. But the reality is they just say a prayer, but they don't, their heart's not really committed yet. It doesn't mean that it's wrong to say the prayer, but the reality is, we got to get to a place wherever we're at. And I'm, I'm, and I'm talking about people that are here, people that come to our church as well, people that are in church. The Christian life is more than just, I said a prayer, I'm going to heaven. The Christian life is recognizing that Jesus is the Son of God and that the Son of God lives inside of me and has called me to serve Him by giving my life to Him to do as He pleases. 
He's not, a, he's not an awful Lord. He is a wonderful God. He is our healer, provider, savior, soon coming. He's so many things to us. It is out of gratitude and out of love that I willingly lay down my life to serve the one who laid down his life for me. And so many people today, well, I'll accept Christ if it doesn't cost me anything. Can I tell you something? That is the biggest lie that Satan has perpetrated to the church. It will cost you everything. but you get everything more than you can ever imagine in return, right? It will cost you everything. He that would come after me, says in Matthew 16, 24, must deny himself. That word, actually, I read a commentary once. I like the way they put it. Must deny his right to self-rule. There's only one person that belongs on the throne of your life. God created you with the idea that he would sit on that throne. And life only works when you let him sit on that throne. It's the only way it truly works, when he sits on the throne of your life. Correct? All right? And it's the process of following after Christ, the process of discipleship, it's the process of sanctification, is the process of submitting more and more of my life to Jesus. Well, I, I laid everything down when I got saved, and then you find out that there's more for you to lay down. I got to die to my unforgiveness I got to die to my temper I got to die to my wants I got to die to what I my rights I got to die so you just continually continually dying but the death uh, that we submit ourselves to works life within us I die to my old way of life but the resurrection life is constantly breathing life into me are you hearing what I'm saying? Paul said it this way. He said, uh, I was crucified with Christ. It is no longer I that live, but Christ in me. And the life I live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So it actually took a while for Peter to get his life in line with Jesus and to submit and commit his life to him. What I also hope that we come to an awareness of is that salvation for many is a process that we as the church can and must allow God to include in the process if we're going to see them come to Christ just like someone submitted themselves to his process and used them to bring us in, uh, to, into a relationship with Christ. So here's the thing. You're not a witness for a few minutes. You're not a witness for a season. You're a witness the rest of your life and you got to get that through your head this is what it called to do to tell people about Jesus now oh but wait a minute I'm a I'm an operator at Dow an operator at Dow is where you tell people about Jesus well I'm a carpenter no your job is where you tell people about Jesus what you are is you're a person who testifies to the goodness of God well your occupation is where you do it right how you do your occupation opens the door for you to be able to testify if you're lousy and lazy and slothful at your job they're not going to want to hear about Jesus is that the Jesus you serve 
But if you're good at your job, you allow the God to, to work through you through signs, wonders, healings, miracles. Um, I mean, maybe you can't do that with the people, but through, uh, through, the, through the gifts of the Spirit, you're able to solve problems. You're able to bring efficiency because you allow the Holy Spirit to work through your life. And they're going to want to know, just like they did with Daniel, just like they did with Joseph, I want to know your God. Well, let me tell you about my God. And that's, that's the whole thing, to tell them about Jesus. Lord, I thank you for this day.